from the NFL. We know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA. Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football. The Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25? And so much more. Watson needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout could be coming to a close. The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise. I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke. And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is A Drink of Wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom. With Jay Wise, I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thanks for spending some of your time with us tonight. Drink had a last-minute family issue come up, so it's just us, man. How's it going? Uh, it's going good, man. Ready to rock and roll. We'll hold it down without uh, our, my other half in here. We can we can handle this. Yeah, yeah, I think, we're, I think we can get it done here. In episode 47, we're handing out some NBA midseason awards, figuring out if Zion can catch John Morant for Rookie of the Year, and we're going to check in on Big Ben down in Pittsburgh. But first, the Clippers and Celtics had a double overtime thriller last night. Jason Tatum poured in 39 points and helped the Celtics pull it off 141 to 133. He got some help from Marcus Smart, who got hot at the right times, along with some solid performances from Hayward and Walker. Clippers got 35 from Williams and 28 from Kawhi, but ultimately couldn't find the shots when they needed them. Both teams head into the All-Star break third in their respective conferences. So Jay, how concerned are you about the Clippers after they limped into the All-Star break with back-to-back losses? I'm not all that concerned about the Clippers as a whole. I still consider the Clippers my favorite to get out of the Western Conference. I still like them a, oh, by a tad over the Lakers. And I'm looking at these back-to-back performances. We saw them lose to the 76ers on Tuesday night. We saw them lose this game to the Boston Celtics. This was a this was these losses were the third and fourth games of a road trip they were on. You got to consider this is the last. This was the last games heading into the All Star break, and dare I say the Clippers from time to time, that they looked like they was ready for the All Star break. The Clippers strike me as a team that they have little to no interest in regular season seating. Their goal is to get to the playoffs, and when they get there, I expect them to lock down, be more consistent defensively, and I think we'll see the best out of the Clippers come postseason time. My major concern with the Clippers, though, is Paul George. We've seen Paul George the last couple games. He did not look right against the 76ers. He was 3 for 15. He was complaining with the referees the whole game. And in this game, he was 2 for 7 and went out with a hamstring injury. The severity of that injury, I haven't seen what it is. but And he will have the all-star break to heal up. And But, we, but now we've seen Paul George. He's missed quite a few games this season. He didn't make the all-star team, and most of that has to do with his injuries this season because I think if he played enough games, there's no doubt Paul George is an all-star. But my concern for the Clippers going forward is his health and the health of the Clippers overall because that's really the only thing I believe that's going to hold this team back. Because as I said, the Clippers, to me, I like look, I give Doc Rivers a little coaching edge over Frank Vogel. And I believe the duo of the Clippers is slightly better than what LeBron and AD have. At best, those duos will cancel each other out, and the Clippers' depth will prove to be superior 
of what the Lakers have. Because when you consider what you get from Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell coming off the bench, and now you combine that with the acquisition of Marcus Morris, you throw in Landry, Landry Shamit spraying threes all over the place. And again, Patrick Beverly has not played the past two games, and he's one of your guys that sets the tone defensively with how gritty and defensive-minded he is at the top of your defense. So with all that said, I'm not, I'm not all that concerned when you consider all the factors coming in this game, back-to-back games on the road, limping into the all-star break. That, that They seem to be ready for that break. And in the end, and also, these were two quality opponents that they went up against. It's not like they came in and they lost to the Knicks and the Hawks back-to-back. These are some quality teams. When you think about Philadelphia, as inconsistent as they've been on the road, they're 25-2 and two at home, so that's nothing to be ashamed of to lose at Philadelphia, who I said last time, Philadelphia is a tough matchup because they don't have anybody that can really go toe-to-toe with Joel Embiid. And then Boston, Boston was just coming off of a tough loss against the Houston Rockets on the road. They get back on their home floor, and they did what they were supposed to do. They took care of business. They get a great performance from Jason Tatum. You get 31 big ones from Marcus Smart. I don't know what got into him last night, but he played a whale of a game. And you combine that with what you can get from Gordon Hayward and a little a little bit from Kimball Walker, although those guys didn't have great shooting nights. When you get 39 from Jason Tatum and 31 from Marcus Smart, and your second-best player, Paul George, goes out in the second quarter, I mean, it's tough. I, I give the Clippers a lot of credit for getting this game to over, double overtime. But again, my level of concern, not all that high. Yeah, I agree with you what you said about the Clippers as far as their interest in the postseason or the regular season. I think you're looking at a team that has its uh, sights set much further down the road than a game like this. I think that uh, from what I read, the Paul George injury isn't too bad. and I, I guess Paul George said he might have wanted to stick around in the game. But, you know, Doc was like, hey, man, we got the All-Star break. Don't worry about it. Let's just get you right, which is that's obviously the smart and correct call to make. But uh, I think if they were like really concerned, you would have probably had him in the game. They probably would have had guys playing a little bit different minutes, but um, overall, I mean, I thought the Clippers did look better last night. They looked, I thought they kind of mailed in a little bit against Philadelphia that they, they looked sluggish. And like you said, they just had that look where you, know, you, you got these, these games, these road trip teams, they're just like West coast to East coast. And they're just like, man, we just want to get home. Like this, this is these hotel rooms and stuff this is getting old. And, uh, but they, the offense was more fluid. The defense was a lot uh, tougher. And uh, there was a lot, a lot to like about what the Clippers did last night. But uh, down the stretch, man, I really want to take a few minutes to talk about what was down the stretch and what really got into that game and the matchup of Tatum and Kawhi. Because with about a couple minutes left in regulation, uh, Jason Tatum became he was the primary defender on Kawhi, and they weren't. I don't think they were doing that the whole game. But when it got down the stretch, Tatum really started to lock it down. And you know, if you when you saw the game, you not only saw what Tatum was doing on offense, but he was also guarding. Kawhi on defense. I believe Kawhi's last bucket was 325 to go in the fourth quarter. Uh, and even before that last bucket, Tatum was forcing him into some really tough shots. And Kawhi was having to settle for these like turn away, you know, faded contested two point shots. Uh, it didn't look like Kawhi was even remotely comfortable in that situation. And then, you know, but I think when we look at a guy like Tatum, and what he did last night, his performances, not only in the end of regulation, but in both overtimes, I believe him and Marcus Smart scored all the points for Boston in the first overtime. And then he also had some big shots to put away in second overtime. Uh, this is the kind of thing I think we should start expecting a little more from Tatum. Um, this is a guy that going to his third year and it's 
the hype has been a lot around him because he played so well his rookie year and it's, it's felt like he's still been ascending, but we've been kind of waiting for this Boston team to maybe take that next step. And like you said a couple of times, Jay, they have a lot of these like B players, but no one looks to be that superstar. No one looks to be that, that player that gets you the extra gear. But if this Jason Tatum gives you this every night, or at least most nights against these quality teams, man, I mean, that that's, that, I mean, 39 points alone, yeah, but we're talking about efficiency from three-point range. We're talking about the defense, the smart plays. I mean, he he settled a few times still. There was a there was a point in the first overtime where Shamit switched to him, and he actually had, I think, the – it was the end of the first overtime, right? It was the end of the first overtime, and Shamit had switched to him, and he was just basically him one-on-one. There wasn't a lot of help defense, and Tatum had a chance to do something and get to the rim like he was doing – and when he was getting more successful, but then he was like, uh, and he like just settled for a long shot. And that's not something he's going to have to, that's not something he's going to get away with all the time. And, uh, but I liked what I saw from him last night a lot. And I think that the Celtics going forward would hope to see more of this out of him. And also, like you said, I want to highlight Marcus smart, man. He had a great night. He had the first 10 for the team. And then he kind of on offense, he was quieter, but man, defense, he was all over the place. The dude was, you know, getting steals. He was making plays. He was, you know, playing defense, switching, doing everything. I mean, he was just doing whatever they needed him to do. Now, again, you don't want to see Marcus Smart jacking up 14 threes, but hey, you know, if he's going to do all the other stuff, let him shoot some threes. That's fine. Everyone does it nowadays anyway. But um, that's going to be another key to this Boston Celtics team going into the stretch of the second half of the season is his defense. But um, yeah, overall, like I said, I think it was just the Clippers, you know, they, they played a good game, but Hey, they were ready to get home and you saw a, a possible watershed moment from the Celtics and Tatum. And that's what, that's what ultimately got him over the edge in the game. Yeah. And in regards to what you said about Jason Tatum, and I, I appreciate you for taking heed and listening to the wisdom I'm bestowing upon you and the listeners for that matter. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I've mentioned this on several occasions when you, when it comes to the Boston Celtics. They got four guys on this team that are all star level players. They got four all star level players. I say it again. We know Kemba and Jason Tatum are on the all-star team this year, but Gordon Hayward's been an all-star and Jalen Brown's going to make an all-star team eventually. He's got that kind of talent. And, but when I look at championship pedigree and capabilities, this is what I was looking for from Boston. If you can, I was, I was primarily looking at Jason Tatum and Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown to a lesser extent, because I don't think Kimball Walker is your number one. I think Kimball Walker He's about reached his peak. He is what he is. He's a great player. He's, he's, he's definitely worthy of being an all-star. But when I look at him, I don't see him being able to improve all that much on what he does. He's your point guard. He's a big shot maker. He's a little undersized. He is what he is. But what you need, you need a true number one option in my mind that can get buckets in a, in a little bit of an easier fashion because Kemba takes, he takes a lot of tough shots. His, his lack of size makes it more difficult for him at the rim. So when I look at a guy like Jason Tatum, if he can give you some of this, if he can have one of those these type of takeover games, it gives Boston a much better chance to look at Milwaukee and say, okay, you got Giannis on that side leading the crew, but we got Jason Tatum over here, the young stud who can go, who can maybe, maybe 
go toe to toe with him. I still think Milwaukee. I still think even if you get this level of this Jason Tatum, it's still going to be tough to ask because Giannis is so dominant at his supporting cast. It's terrific around him. They got a lot of guys that can shoot the three. But this type of Boston performance that you got last night should give Boston fans hope. Absolutely. You know, the that was what was I think was most impressive. I mean, we know Tatum can play. I mean, he, he's score. He's a guy that can do pretty much anything. He's got the range from three. He's got the athleticism finished at the rim. I mean, the guy's got as a modern NBA player on offense, he's got everything. But the defense, I mean, man, he locked Kawhi down. He was absolutely a wet, steamy, hot blanket on him through that whole overtime. And that that's something that's that's pretty incredible to, to raise your hand and say, hey, coach, I got it. Let, let me have him. I'm going to not only am I going to put this team on my back on that end of the floor, but when they come back here, I'm going to be the one that goes against their best player. And we all know Kawhi is now, we, you know, we understand that the injuries and the load management, you know, is what it is. But I mean, Kawhi Leonard is one of the best players in the world. I mean, he's on that level with Giannis of guys that can just take over games and for at least a few minutes, Tatum looked like a guy that could defend him. So obviously there's some size differences as well, but absolutely. I think that this, this could be the start If the Celtics are going to make a run into the Eastern conference finals and potentially the NBA finals. This is the kind of performance you're going to have from Tatum while keeping the rest of this team, getting what you also got from them. All right, folks, even though teams have played more than 41 games, we have now officially reached the midpoint of the NBA season and the All-Star break. And with that in mind, it's time for us to dish out our NBA It Midseason Awards. So start us off, Cody. Who's your NBA Midseason MVP? Oh, man, I think, I think there's uh, one guy that stands head and shoulders above everybody else this year. And it's got to be honest, man. I mean, there's a couple guys you could consider. We all know James Harden's putting up the numbers, although as of late, you know, that that's kind of trailed off a bit. But, man, I mean, how, how do you look at what – what he's doing in Milwaukee and with the with the ease of what he's doing, you know, 30 points in 30 minutes. It's it's insane. You know, his his efficiency is through the roof. Uh, he's grabbing 13 and a half boards. Uh, he has this team clearly head and shoulders above everybody else in the East in first place. Um, yeah, it's 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 one of those encompassing things that the, the man simply does everything you could ever want your your team your all-star to do and not only that you know we'll, we'll get into a little bit more but he's doing it on both sides of the ball it's not just offense it's not just scoring and that's where i've always had the problem with someone naming guy like harden so yeah it's for me it's Giannis, 100 yeah i don't think it's all that complicated as much as i think when a guy wins the mvp award the year before your natural inclination is to look for another guy and give him the award just to you know, keep it moving and not have say. I mean, because for years we see a guy like LeBron James and yeah, LeBron could win the MVP every war, every year. Right. But I mean, in this sense, when I look at Giannis from last year to this year, he's made improvements. I mean, he's scoring the ball more in slightly less minutes per game. His 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 overall field goal percentage is a little bit down. But one of the things we were looking at with Giannis coming into the season for him to take that next step was to improve upon his perimeter game and when I watch him play this year I think he's done that I think he's better in the mid-range I've seen some good post moves some good post turnaround shots and although he's not a knockdown three-point shooter at this stage of his career I mean I'll take I'll take 31 percent I mean that that's better than Russell Westbrook giving you 23 percent 
I mean, so when you put it, when you put that in perspective and you consider how dominant he is in the paint, I mean, all you need is a guy who is capable at times of hitting some wide open threes because those shots are going to be there. And of course, you know what he does on the defensive end. I mean, the rebounding numbers are just off the charts. He's a he's a great playmaker. He can get the ball to open shooters. And and it, it's truly remarkable when you consider, again, I mean, 31 minutes a game and he's giving you all this. And the Bucks, oh, by the way, they're running away with best record in the entire NBA. So, yeah, at this point, this is the easy one. Giannis has got to win this award. And unless he unless there's a some sort of big fall off and another guy ascends to his level, it's, it's hard to see him not winning it again. Yeah, so let's go and move on to the defensive player of the year. And for what I've got here, I've got Anthony Davis. Uh, we're talking about a guy that's fourth in the league in blocks per game. The Lakers as a team are one of the best defensive units uh, in basketball. The 41-12 record is not just because they're scoring well, but because the, these guys are defending well. And Anthony Davis is a central part of that. Uh, the Lakers are allowing among the top five in the league in points for, points in the paint with 45 per game. Um, and these guys, like I said, again, they're protecting the rim. And we know that LeBron still gives you a lot on defense. There's a couple of other guys in that mix uh, that are that are really doing kind of the same thing. You know, we know the Lakers coming into the season we're going to make a lot of their money on the defensive side of the ball. But I really think that Anthony Davis is the kind of the key to all that, and he really kind of keeps all that together. And he's got to be my defensive player of the year. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think Anthony Davis had a fantastic year, and uh, the work he's done on the defensive end, being that anchor in there for the Lakers is to be respected. I look at other guys this year. I look at the impact Jimmy Butler has had on the Miami Heat. You think about guys like Rudy Gobert. There, there's a lot there's a lot I think there's a lot of guys that can win this award. I th- I think it's still one it's one of those that'll wind up coming down to the, you know, a season to season look. I think this is definitely an award itself for grabs, but and this is going to be kind of bland, but I'm going Giannis. Giannis wins MVP and defensive player of the year at this stage of the season for me. Uh, not only you consider what he's done on the offensive side, but defensively, he's anchoring the league's best defense. If you go by defensive rating and if you go by opponent's field goal percentage. And when I watch the Bucks play, they're very sound defensively. I, I love what they do when guys drive to the paint. There just seems to be just so many trees in there, Giannis included. You think about the Lopez guys that come into the game. I mean, it, it, it is hard to score. They they really make you take jump shots. It, it, it's tough to get things done with against them. And, yeah, I'm going Giannis for Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, let's, uh, yeah, moving on to the Sixth Man of the Year award. I, I'm, going, I'm going to OKC for this one. Uh, I'm looking at a guy, Dennis Schroeder, 19 points a game on 47% shooting, 38 39% from three. I mean, this guy, those are career highs when you talk about his efficiency. He's still hitting a great percentage from the free throw line. And he's he's a major reason that the Oklahoma City Thunder, that the Oklahoma City Thunder sitting at six seed. You also got Chris Paul, Shea, uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander out there. Of course, Steven Adams still hanging down there on the inside. But what Schroeder has been able to do coming off the bench for them has been remarkable. He's having he's I think he's having his best season of his career. He's only started one game. So all, pretty much all of this work is coming off the bench. And uh, I, I think we'll see. And we'll, uh, again, Lou Williams is a guy we can throw in here every single season. And he's having a fantastic year again. But I'm giving the edge to Schroeder right here because of his efficiency. 
That's a great that's a great point. That's something that a lot of people may overlook. Again, like you said, you know, Lou Williams is a guy that you always think of. And there's a couple others. But that's a that's a really sneaky good pick in Oklahoma City, a sneaky good team. I'm really excited to hopefully get them on here at some point because they're going to be a, they're a, they're a fun team to talk about and a team that was really left for dead at the start of the year. Uh, my sixth man of the year, I'm going to go with a clipper, but it's not going to be Lou Williams. I'm looking at a man in Montrez Harrell, man. What I like about Montrez Harrell for the Clippers is he's not just a scoring punch. You know, a lot of times we think of the sixth man we just think of the guy that comes off and he's that like spark off the bench. You know, the guy comes in, drops some quick points and like, you know, helps your team catch up. Maybe if your starter is a little bit behind and uh, he is doing that. He's averaging 18.6 points per game, 7.1 rebounds and about two assists. And his numbers are up from last year across the board. And the Clippers are also they're more efficient per possession on offense when he's in the game. But what I look at, what kind of sets him apart for me and what makes him kind of like take that next step into where I give him the award is his defensive uh, effort. You know, he's going to have to down the stretch in the Western Conference. There's a lot of big guys he's going to go up against. And we've talked about it the other day with the Clippers and matchups. You know, uh, Zubac is really the only other guy, that, a big guy that can really defend some of the bigger players. And a lot of that responsibility is going to fall to Harrell. Uh, down the stretch. So, you know, in the Western Conference, as loaded as it is, I think that by the end of the year, you're going to look at Montrez Harrell and not only on offense, but on defense is going to combine to make him uh, the sixth man of the year for me. Hey, I say this about uh, Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams. Lou Williams is without question their sixth man. If there was a seventh man award, it'd be Montrez Harrell by a mile over anybody else. That was the thing I thought about a little bit was Williams has played a lot you know, in the absence of Paul George and Beverly and some of these other guys, he's only started eight games, but I was like, uh, he's almost like a five and a half man. Like it's, it's, it's yeah, the, I mean, how they do it is, is pretty yeah, weird, but let's be real. I mean, if Giannis is an easy pick for MVP, I mean, I think Lou Williams would be an easy, cheesy pick for six, man. We could just throw him up there. He could win it every year. Oh yeah. Spice so, it up. Yeah, let's go ahead and go to most improved player. Uh, I've got Brandon Ingram here in the slot. Uh, uh, 24.9 points per game, up from 18 last year. 6.4 rebounds, up from 5.6. And 4.2 assists, up from 3, despite his minutes per game staying about the same. Uh, he's on this Pelicans team that, you know, got a big retooling. The whole team sort of changed with the with the Lakers trade and with the Zion pick. But for the first half of the year, Zion was nowhere to be found with the injury. And in the absence of Zion, Ingram has taken more shots. He's making more shots and he's become much more well-rounded on offense. Uh, the player that we thought we were going to see, you know, when the Lakers first picked him up, uh, back when he was first drafted. And he's also uh, shooting two and a half threes per game up from just 0.7 per game. So he's getting much more comfortable uh, from the three point line, which obviously in today's NBA, it's something you got to have. Uh, and he's also shooting better 40% up from 33. So Pelicans are in the mix, at least in the Western conference to some degree. And uh, I think for me, that um, is really nice to see that he's really improved as much. So for me, that's who I'm going with. Yeah, Brandon Ingram's got a great case when you consider the jump he's made from uh, year three to year four. His free throw shooting has also went back to elite status. Uh, and His shooting overall is a huge reason that his, uh, his scoring is way up and he's doing a lot of things well. Uh, I'm going down to Miami and uh, bam, out of Bayou. I think when you look at what he's been able to do in his, I think it's his, I believe it's his third season. This guy's now got you, got you at 16 points up from nine points last year. Still doing it in an efficient manner, giving you averaging a double double. Also giving you five five assists, five assists from the center position. That's nothing to sneeze at, and he contributes defensively. He's the second best player for the Miami Heat right now, behind Jimmy Butler. 
And he's doing this in a winning effort. The Miami Heat's sitting at the 4C right now. So not only has he improved tremendously, his improvement, along with the acquisition of Jimmy Butler, has led to Miami really improving this season. And they're, they're definitely, they've definitely been a surprise team in the East, and they haven't really let off the gas pedal. They're continuing to make strides. And last one we got here this season, we're going to the, the sidelines, talking about these coaches. And I'm going back to you alluded to him just a bit when we talked about uh, when I talked about Dennis Schroeder. Listen, I mean, when we talk about teams that I was buried, was burying to start the season, Oklahoma City was among the tops. And by tops, I had them buried at the bottom of the standings. The Oklahoma City Thunder, when you consider what they lost in the offseason with Russell Westbrook and Paul George, and then you get back what we thought was a worn down Chris Paul. You also get Shea Gilgis Alexander in there, but what they have been able to do, these guys, they've won 60% of their games sitting at 33 and 22, sixth in the Western conference. We did not see this coming. And for them to be this solidified right now in playoff positioning behind really five teams that we absolutely thought would be in there. We talk about the Lakers, Clippers, the Rockets, the Nuggets and Jazz. We, we did not, in no way, shape, or form, did we have, did I have the Thunder anywhere near the playoffs. I thought they would stink. I thought they would struggle to win 20 games, to be quite honest with you. So what they've been able to do and the job Billy Donovan has done, I think he's, I think there was some question when he left Florida and he immediately had, you know, KD and Russell Westbrook and Baca, the list goes on and on. That was a stacked team. And I think he got some criticism when they blew that 3-1 lead to the Golden State Warriors several years ago. But when you look at what he's been able to do this year with when we look at the roster, it doesn't seem to be all that impressive. But to have this team at a 60% winning percentage, I, I think he's hands down the coach of the year. That is honestly like because my coach of the year, I'm going with Nick Nurse. And I think the teams are in a lot of similar situations. Uh, the Raptors are another team. A lot of people kind of left for dead. Now, I think I think we would both agree that the Raptors probably had a little brighter outlook than the Thunder did. The Raptors are playing a little bit better conference. And, um, you know, they didn't lose everybody. They really just lost Kawhi. But I think that was a team that a lot of people thought could fall right back off really fast. Because when Kawhi left, it wasn't like DeMar DeRozan came back. I mean, you pretty much just lost Kawhi, you lost DeMar DeRozan. Those are two great players back-to-back years. And a lot of questions were surrounding them. Plus, you also have the, we just won it all hangover, and we see many teams that win it, and then they just kind of falter off in the next year. But hey, Nick Nurse, man, he's pushing all the right buttons right now. These guys really haven't missed a step. And it's also remarkable when you consider the fact that he's had significant injuries to uh, both Kyle Lowry, Serge Ibaka, and then now Powell's also been hurt. And uh, it seems like they, they haven't had a roster that's been fully healthy, like since the season started. It's been one or the other almost the entire season so far. And yet the Raptors are highly competitive in the East, and they're a team we know that are going to go to the playoffs. They're probably going to win a series or two. Uh, they got guys like Siakam that are really uh, continuing to ascend, and guys around him, around Siakam, are continuing to play as well as they have, if not better than they have. And some of that can be credited to the general manager, but uh, keeping some talent there. But overall, man, I, I really like Nick Nurse for it. But, hey, if Billy Donovan won it, you know, I, I couldn't even argue it a little bit. That's another team that we did not expect to have the year they've had. Yeah, the, the, the Raptors are an interesting case because you look at them last year and what they were able to do in a regular season when Kawhi Leonard did not play. And he sat out about, about a quarter of the season that they did a fairly good job when he was out. So. 
although I ex- I did expect a bit of a drop off this season without Kawhi and they've absolutely overachieved so far. Uh, I, I still thought that they would be about in the top five seeds in the Eastern Conference. And even though they've definitely overachieved, I still think what Oklahoma City has done has been a little bit more impressive. But, I mean, I, I can't argue if someone wants to vote, if you want to vote for Nick Nurse. I don't think that's nothing to sneeze at. I think if you look at what he's been able to do, keeping this team at the number two seed at this at this point in time, that they, they just had a 15-game game winning streak. And you look at Pascal Siakam, we, we questioned right off the bat, I mean, you really, you paying this guy max dollars right now? And hey, I mean, you, you could make a case that Pascal Siakam should win most improved player again because he's taken yet another huge leap in his development. He's definitely proven to be a number one option at this stage. I think ultimately come playoff time, they're going to come up short to the Bucks just like everybody else. But hey, for a regular season, I mean... Uh, Nick Nick Nurse got a great case for this award as well. All right, let's get to the last award for the evening and take a moment to showcase the league's two best rookies. The season-long leader for Rookie of the Year has been John Morant in Memphis. Grizzlies point guards averaged 17.6 points and 7.1 assists, starting all 48 of their games, and has the team two games above 500 in the eighth seed. Hot on his heels, though, is first overall pick Zion Williamson. Pelicans forward has exploded onto the scene in his 10 games he started, averaging 22 a night with back-to-back 30-plus point performances. Jay, Zion keeps this up. Can he come back and steal Rookie of the Year down the stretch? I got to admit, I I think this is a possible scenario. My problem with this is although I do think it's possible, I think it's really unlikely. Because although Zion Williamson, has been nothing short of spectacular since he got on the scene. We remember that first game he played against San Antonio Spurs. Did absolutely nothing for three for three quarters. I mean, what, what did Drink give him that night? Gave him a hot C. C, C-, C- minus, hot, I think. Yeah, like that, yeah. Yeah, him, it was in the C range. It was in the average. It was in the average. Hey, since then, I'd be hard-pressed if Drink want to find me a game where he was a, a C player. But, hey, that's another. I'm, I'm not going to give Drink too hard a time today. But I just want to throw that in there. But he's been great. The problem is, when I look at the volume, I mean, John Morant, he's been there the whole season. And he's been leading this Memphis team the whole season as a rookie in his own right, second overall pick. And much like we talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder and how they've overachieved this year, I mean, Memphis is another team. We did not see this. We did not see the Memphis Grizzlies being in the eighth seed at this point in the season. That's something we got to pay attention to. He's been consistent. He's been efficient. I mean, really, 49% from your point guard. And he's, t- I mean, he's taking perimeter shots. It's not like he's just going to the rim every time. And, I mean, I'm also looking at the Grizzlies and their roster. They got, the, they got some nice young pieces. But we look at them, and I don't consider them to be overly talented. I mean, when we look at the Pelicans and we look at the Grizzlies, when we consider how much the Lakers gave up to get Anthony Davis, they traded like a whole starting unit over there. When you think Alonzo, Ingram, Josh Hart, whoever whoever else it may have been, they gave up an awful lot. And with, with that being said, you also consider the Pelicans get Zion. Their future looks incredibly bright. And I say all, to, all that to say, John Morant's season is so impressive and the only way I can see Zion catch them is a couple things have to happen. 
Number one, I think Zion has to pick it up even more to catch him. I think he I think he needs to average 25 for the rest of the year. And, hey, a double-double wouldn't hurt. And can, can we get a few more highlight blocks? I want to see more shots going into the fifth row. That's what I need to see, big fella. But, hey, another thing, I think John Moran's got to slow down. I think John Moran has to hit that maybe some sort of rookie wall. We haven't seen it yet. And he's only I think he's playing like just under 30 minutes a game. So they're doing a great job of managing his minutes, keeping him fresh. You got to And you got to be careful with guys just coming out of college because it look, it's not a 30 some game season like the, like college basketball. Look, it's a it's a full grind. No uh, October to April. So I think they're doing a great job. I think John Morant's doing a great job. Again, the only chance I see for Zion, he's got to pick it up even more. Ja's got to slow down a little bit. If and if if Zion picks it up and Ja remains consistent and they hold the eight seed, as impressive as Zion's overall body of work is going to be, I think you still have to give a give the edge to Ja because, I, and I'm not I'm not holding no fault against Zion for missing half the for missing half the season, but I do have to give credit for Ja Morant. He's played the entire season, and I think that's something we got to pay attention to. Now, with that being said. If John Morant, for some reason, wasn't in the league, if he had another year of college eligibility, he was still in college, I think Zion would win this award because I don't think he'd have any other competition. When you look at other guys that got drafted, I mean, there's nobody else who's going to come close to what Zion Williamson is doing, even with him missing half the season. But as it stands now, I think this is still John Morant's award to lose. Yeah, you're, the point there about the other rookies and that's what makes this interesting is it really is a two-man race there's there's been a couple guys that are nice you know have had nice seasons you know rj barrison a little bit with the knicks but it's the knicks so you know good luck with that but other than like those top 10 guys i mean it really is job morant has been the clear in a way front runner and that's why i didn't really want we won't include him in the regular the other awards we just did because it was such a no-brainer but now zion's come on and just exploded onto the scene. I mean, you know, his first game was like, oh, you know, okay, cool for that one quarter. And then we were like, well, how much of this are we going to get? How many minutes is he going to play? But they quickly threw the training wheels off of him. And he's been really efficient. But these last two games, it's kind of scary to see what he's already doing. I mean, 31 against the Blazers with Hassan Whiteside protecting the rim. And Whiteside isn't the best guy in the world when it comes to some stuff, but he's still seven foot. I mean, he's still a great rim protector. Uh, and then he followed that up with 32 against the Thunder. And his impact on the Pelicans and how much of a difference he makes. Uh, the Pelicans outscore opponents 12.8 points per 100 with him in the game without their outscore by 3.3 points. Uh, they were below 500 before he showed up, and now they're 500 with him. So he's already making up win difference, and he's average, He's definitely making up the points when he's in. You're averaging 22 points on 57% shooting. His shot chart is hilarious, by the way. It's pretty much all right around the rim. I mean, he had the four threes against San Antonio that he made, and he hasn't made one since, but he's only taken like four or five. Like, it's pretty much he's just getting to the rim and doing whatever he wants, and he's played against some pretty good teams. I mean, again, they're playing in the West. There's been a couple seven-footers he's went against, and it hasn't seemed to bother him very much. And That, that is very... Uh, very unsettling to think when he actually starts to develop that jump shot and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, and it's hard to take anything away from Ja, man, because he's played so well. You're t and we, I, I gushed about the Grizzlies a little bit the other week. But uh, Morant just seems to play with a very 
high basketball IQ. He's one of those players that I think for a long time is going to use his use his brain and not so much his athleticism to really make the difference. And as a rookie with what he's doing, how efficient he's been, it's it's going to be hard for Zion to catch him. I think you're absolutely right. I think that Zion is probably going to have to turn it up a little bit more. But one of the factors I'm looking at, and I know this probably isn't supposed to be the exact like determination, but you kind of alluded it to with the playoffs. You know, you have these two teams that are in somewhat similar situations. Not not directly. The Grizzlies are obviously two games above 500. The Pelicans are below that. They're still in that like muddy mix of bottom Western Conference teams that are trying to get out. But down the stretch, if Zion is able to pull the Pelicans back from the brink, the 18 and 27 brink they were on, and get them into the playoffs, especially if he gets them past Memphis and gets them into the seven seed or maybe boots Memphis out of the eight seed and then the Pelicans get it instead, ooh, it's going to be hard to it's going to be hard to deny him the award. And maybe, maybe that shouldn't be the only factor or the determining factor, but if Zion can keep up this kind of pace and the Pelicans can pull back ahead, especially in this conference, I've got a hard time believing he wouldn't steal the award, but as it stands right now, I think you're absolutely right. I think it is John Morant's award to lose. And if, if everything levels out and they stay the same, everything down the stretch, then yeah, you've got to give it to Morant. Hey, something happens. I'm having a hard time thinking it's not going to be Zion. Yeah, and your point about the playoffs is definitely an interesting one, and that to me is pro- that's probably Zion's best like avenue to get this award. If he can somehow get this team over the hump and get them over, I think they will. I think believe it's uh, Portland and San Antonio are nine and ten, just above the uh, Pelicans, and then, of course, the Grizzlies in the eighth seed. If Zion can help these guys lead them and leapfrog those other teams and get and boot Memphis out, as you say, because I don't think I don't think Memphis is going to be able to move up into the seven or six seed. I don't, I don't think that's going to be all that feasible. If that can happen, then I think that's really strengthens his case. And then I think he's got a great chance to win rookie of the year, even though Again, he'll only have played about half the season, best case scenario. But my problem with that is I don't see that happen. I think the Pelicans dug themselves too deep a hole. And as well as Zion has played, and although we admit the Pelicans have improved, I mean, they're 6-4 and four with him. So that, that in itself, that's an improvement. But I don't think that's a if, – if, if that's the level of play the Pelicans are going to get, I don't think 6-4 and four for the rest of the season every 10 games – is going to be enough to catch them. I think ultimately they dug themselves too big a hole, and that's going to that's that will end up being the difference. Cody, let's move to the NFL news in the city of Pittsburgh. Steelers general manager Kevin Colbert says Ben Roethlisberger is headed in the right direction in terms of his rehab, and believes the soon-to-be 38-year-old quarterback can still be a valuable asset. Big Ben missed the final 14 games of the 2019 season with an elbow injury in which the Steelers started 0-4 before coming up just short of the playoffs, despite uneven quarterback play from Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. So, Cody, tell us, what do you expect out of Big Ben in 2020? Well, he is the second highest paid quarterback in the league, so I do expect a lot out of him uh, when you're making $33 million a season. I expect you to play like it. Um, but, yeah, I, I expect that the Steelers – are one of those teams that could get right back into it really quick. So one of the reasons I think about that is you have to look at what they did with what they had last year. You know, um, 
you had the situation where you had both Mason Rudolph and Hodges, and neither one of them, both of them had several games to try to prove something. Neither one of them did. I mean, Rudolph's most impressive accomplishment was getting hit by Miles Garrett, and Hodges. Oh, say it like ain't a, so. It, it, it was, though. I mean, you know. <laughs> I, that's sad because I liked him coming out of college. I thought he was going to be quite a, a player, but yeah, what do I know? But we look at what they have. You know, you have one, you have a coach, Mike Tomlin, who <laughs> with the with what has happened with Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and the whole situation and what he was able to do. I mean, the man should win every coach of the year award from here until the end of time until he retires. I mean, you know, now you have the absolute bona fide coach that you should give a lifetime contract to. Also, you have is a great defense. You have a defense that is outstanding. These guys down the stretch, Minka Fitzpatrick, that trade like solidified that unit. You get the best. I mean, by sacks, the best pass rush in the NFL. You had a secondary that could cover anybody. And there were games that defense completely carried them to victories. So my question isn't so much about Big Ben. I mean, yeah, OK, he's 38, but. He came off his career best in passing yards and attempts in 2018 uh, alone. His highest yards per game, highest uh, pass attempts. He had a little bit more interceptions than he's thrown in his career. But uh, overall, you know, 34 touchdowns, 16 picks, and 5,100 yards. I mean, are we, is they much of a fall off there? And uh, I think that age-wise, we just haven't seen any indication that that's happening yet with him. Um, uh, is he the player he used to be? Eh, probably not. But is he a guy that you absolutely can win with? Well, yeah. If you can go eight and eight with with Rudolph and Hodges, I think Big Ben can get you a little better, you know. And the question for me really is not so much going to be Big Ben. It's going to be what do the Steelers? How do the Steelers work this offseason? You know, there's a lot of things to address. One's backup quarterback. Are you going to keep one of these guys or both these guys around? I mean, money wise, there's no problem. You know, they don't. They none of them cost anything to keep on the team. But it, are you going to be confident if that's the case? But also, um, you know, looking at their salary cap, the Steelers are in trouble in the salary cap. Uh, they are the third lowest salary cap team. They have cap space, but it's like a million dollars or something. They're pretty much at the they're at the cap. And when you look at the offense that the Steelers have, there's some nice pieces, but is it enough? Is it enough where Big Ben can come in and you can win 12 games in a very competitive uh, NFC North? Can you beat the Ravens? Can you get like a top seed? You know, can you if the Patriots are still doing their thing? You know, um, I think that if they are going to target guys in the offseason, I think that wide receivers going to be somewhere they might have to look. Uh, you, you have a guy in Juju. That's a really good player, probably a number one wide receiver. But after that, you know, James Washington, Deontay Johnson, uh, we know by the end of the year they were down to. Walmart cashiers, their their receivers, everybody was hurt. Um, but you still got a couple years of the pretty good offensive line, a very veteran unit. And then also at running back, can you run the ball effectively and can you keep up uh, not asking Big Ben to do too much? So I think what it comes down to is if you put him in the same situation that you gave Rudolph and them last year, which is a lot of running the ball, um, receivers if they're healthy, and a great defense, I would expect them to win – 10 plus games and be a playoff team that probably hosts at least one playoff game. Um, but if you can't get out of the salary cap trouble you're in and you can't, uh, you can't keep some of these guys and you lose some guys to free agency and you pretty much keep the status quo on offense and a deep a piece on your defense or so slips away, it might be hard, but I think, yeah, I think it is age and, and whatnot. There's no reason that he can't come back in as your guy in 2020 and make a big difference. Yeah, I, I think um, 
I expect Big Ben to come back. And this is, again, this is all predicated on health, but I expect him to be healthy, as the GM said. And you're absolutely right. In the last full season he played in 2018, he had his career best season in terms of yards and touchdowns. So I don't look at this as a situation where I think Big Ben can't play anymore. I don't see this as something to where he's a Phillip Rivers and he's an Eli Manning. I mean, Eli Manning's gone. Philip Rivers, is he going to come back to and play again? I think he wants to play, but uh, that that's a situation where I have seen a drop-off, although I still think he'll wind up playing next year, and I think he'll get a starting job somewhere. But I think Big Ben right now, you look at those three guys, he's still got the most juice left in the tank. I do think he needs to continue. As he continues to age, I think his game is going to have to adapt because I think he's going to be less mobile and he's not going to be able to take as many hits as he's been able to do in the past, because Big Ben always, always his greatest asset is what he's been able to do when the play breaks down, getting outside the pocket. And I think at this stage of his career, he's going to be he's going to be forced to stay inside the pocket more and beat you from there. I think he's capable of doing that. And and the, the, the key thing here, I think really you can make this really simple. When you think about what they did last year with substandard quarterback play, I mean, Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges, they had moments where they looked like they were capable of doing some things. And then a couple weeks later, they looked like they don't belong at all. That happens with backup quarterbacks from time to time. I mean, we saw it with Kyle Allen and the Carolina Panthers. Oh, yeah, yeah, they four-game winning streak. Yep, they couldn't find a win the rest of the season. So we see these things from time to time. So it was a little bit of smoke and mirrors uh, that – they were their team was predicated on how great they were on the defensive side of the ball. And I look I look at what you have on that defense. And on one hand, I love what they did with their defense. Mega Fitzpatrick, no joke, absolutely solidified what they held over there. Their cornerback play was somewhat good when you think about Joe Hayden and Steven Nelson. And even you extend that to Mike Hilton at the nickel at the nickelback position. And then the pass rush is certainly fearsome. When you think about passing downs and you can slide Cam Hayward inside, don't forget Stephon Tuitt was out uh, most a lot of the year last year. I assume you get him back. And then, of course, T.J. Watt and Bud Dupree off the edge. I mean, what can I say? You got T.J. Watt out there. Uh, this is a guy capable of winning defensive player of the year multiple times. That's how great he, he, he appears to be. And then you get some speed, some much-needed speed at the inside linebacker position with, with the acquisition of uh, Mark Barron, and then you draft the young stud, Devin Bush. The problem, the problem I mentioned, as much as I like these guys, we've seen great defenses. We see replicating that success from year to year is difficult from time to time. I'm thinking about the 2015 Denver Broncos, who had a Super Bowl champion defense. Hasn't been the, hasn't really been the same all this year. It's tough to keep guys that you, you lose them as free agents. Same thing with the Jaguars of 2017, how great and dominant that defense was. These things are tough to replicate on that side of the ball. So can the Steelers continue to build on their success they had last year? That remains to be seen. I think they're capable of it, but, but we'll see how it goes. Offensively, I, I do agree with you. I think ultimately – even if Big Ben can do his thing, a lot of it is going to be predicated on the supporting cast. The offensive line, I think, will remain primarily intact. I think they still got a lot of those guys locked in. You talk about DeCastro, Pouncey, uh, Alejandro Villanueva, Ramon Foster. I think you'll see all those guys back. 
I think, and I think that offensive line still has a lot of juice left. And it, it's the skill position. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were done. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, the, the skill position guys I think are really interesting because I'm not as down on this wide receiving core as you may be. When I think about Juju Smith-Schuster, I, I think about last year was his first opportunity to be a number one receiver. He wasn't having that great a year, and then injuries started to set in. I'm not going to hold that against him all that much. I still think he has the capability to be that guy. Now, he may never be. And he may never put up the kind of numbers Antonio Brown did, but I don't think they need him to be that great because I'm going to tell you something. I like what I saw last year from James Washington. I thought he was going to be a breakout player and have a great season. He didn't have the season I thought he was going to have, but much of that has to do with the injury to Ben Roethlisberger. When you consider the inconsistent and at times below average play you get from Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges, I mean, it's a wonder James Washington could do anything out there. But I really like his ability to stretch the field. We saw him at times have some great catches on deep balls. He's a vertical weapon. And what does Big Ben like to do? He likes to throw the football down the field. I think I don't think that's something that's going to change. So with that being said, I think James Washington is a guy to look out for again this year. I like what I saw from him. And, hey, Deontay Johnson, I was pretty impressed with what I saw from him. I think he's a guy that can be a really capable number three receiver. So I, I like that grouping of receivers. At the tight end position, I mean, I, I really like Vance McDonald. But can we get healthy, please? Like, I, I see this dude. He'd he be out here ending careers with stiff arms. And then next week, you won't, you can't find him. Like, oh, Vance McDonald injured with a, uh, a pectoral injury. Huh? You just end, you ended Chris Conte's career last week. What are you doing? But then the running, the running game may wind up being the key in all this. Because as I mentioned... With Big Ben, as he ages and his mobility decreases, I think the running game is going to be really key. And that goes back to health, too. Can you get James Conner healthy? Can you get a good season from him? And if you can't, can Jalen Samuels be the next guy to step up? I really like what he does out of the backfield catching passes. Can we get more from the running game? What about Benny Smith? What about Benny Snell? We saw from time to time he was able to do things between the tackles. They got some, my point is offensively at the skill positions, they got some really, really interesting pieces. And it's going to be interesting if those guys together can improve both collectively and individually. If they can do that, I don't think there's any reason the Steelers can't be two games better than last season. And generally, 10 wins will get you in the playoffs. Now, do I think they'll wind up being as good as Baltimore? I mean, I think that's going to be tough with how with how great Lamar Jackson has been this year, and I don't really see him slowing down. That's going to be tough. But Big Ben coming back, being healthy, leading this team will make it very interesting if the Steelers' defense can maintain how they played last year. Yeah, I was going to add in on the uh, just one thing I was thinking about uh, for their off season, you know, we were talking about the salary cap a little bit a minute ago, uh, their free agents coming up. Vance McDonald is going to be a free agent, um, but also Artie Burns and Bud Dupree are the only ones that are really going to be losing that are not just guys within the roster, you know? Um, but one thing to consider for the Steelers going into this next off season and what they're going to do with the team is they are missing both their first and third round pick as well as two fifth round picks. So they're only going to have their pick at 49, uh, their pick at 99 from Miami and then another fourth round pick at 114. So they're only going to have 
uh, three picks on the in the first two days of the draft, and also with the cal the salary cap space again, you know they are pretty much at the cap, and there aren't many ways. I, I see just by a glance. I could be wrong here, but there's not many ways at a glance they're going to be able to cut a, a swath of like 20 million, 30 million dollars of salary cap space at a drop of a hat. So they're probably going to have to get pretty creative when it comes to what they have on the roster and what they have to work with uh, going into it. So I guess the question really is going to be, can they? keep the level of play they had, which I think we kind of agree, as long as they can keep the what they had level of play-wise and who they had, for the most part, they can be better. But are they going to be able to navigate this free agency period and come out and off-season period as a whole, really, and come out on the other side with a team that they can win with? Yeah, uh, for me, for me, assuming you get Big Ben healthy and he's he may not be 100% what, we, what he was in 2018, but if he can be somewhat close to that, I think the Steelers can be better automatically because that's how big, that's how much that quarterback position can affect your team. The the salary cap points and the loss of draft picks, I'm assuming some of that comes from the Minka Fitzpatrick deal. Yes. That, st- that point, yeah, those points are well taken. What I would say to you, I think improving from within is something the Steelers are capable of doing. When I talk about those skill position guys, those are primarily who I'm talking about. If they can, if those, if the coaching staff can develop those guys a little bit more, get more out of those guys, I don't think it'll be all that. It won't be a huge deal. Their lack of free agent signs that they might have. And listen, Kevin Colbert, he's proved to be a good GM. I mean, he, he, listen, he's drew, he's drew some criticism with not paying Le'Veon Bell. You know, not. The Antonio Brown situation didn't end well, and uh, hey, we saw how that ended up. Mike Tomlin looks like, good now. Yeah. Mike Tomlin look Mike Mike Tomlin looks better every day of the every day that Antonio Brown was wilding out. But um, hey, Kevin Colbert has proved even with the limited draft material that he has, I still wouldn't be surprised if the Steelers, you know, they come out okay in this draft and they find some diamonds in the rough, and those guys can contribute from day one. And as far as those guys that you mentioned that they'll They'll probably lose in free agency. I mean, Bud Dupree, he's a good he's a good player, but I I don't think I don't think that will, you know, decimate that pass rush. I think they'll still be capable of getting things done. I mean, Vance McDonald already said, I mean, this guy's in and out of the lineup. I mean, I don't know I don't know what he's doing. And then Artie Burns, uh, you know how I feel about Artie Burns. I, I don't think that's a huge loss at all. I mean, he, he he got the wrong last name to be playing corner. I mean, that, that that's all I'll say about him. And he 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 proves it like. I, I, he, he proves it all the time, and it, the the Steelers, the Steelers will not miss him. We'll, 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 yeah, there ain't nobody worried about that. All right, so I'm going to finish off some rapid reaction. A lot of topics, a little bit of time. Take it away, Jay. Yeah, yeah, let's get it. Blazers point guard Damian Lillard will sit out All-Star Weekend with a groin injury, and the NBA has replaced him with son shooting guard Devin Booker. Would that have been your choice? Uh, probably so. I think you look out in the West, there's a couple of guys that could have got it. But uh, Booker was one of the bigger snubs you saw. Uh, he's averaging 26 uh, point something points per game. Uh, the Suns were playing better for a while. But overall, yeah, I think he's a, I think it's a good choice. Washington Redskins made some cuts today. And among them was cornerback Josh Norman. 32-year-old served four years of his five-year, $75 million contract and is now a free agent. Who might be interested in his services? Yeah, I tell you who'd be interested. He can go up there and holler at them XFL people. You know what? Them sideline interviews that we saw, Josh Norman would be perfect for those. You always know he got something to say. Warriors point guard Steph Curry has been nursing a hand injury for most of the year, but is eyeing a March return. Coach Steve Kerr said he's participating in drills and other team activities. Are you excited to see him back? 
or should the Warriors have shelved him for the year? I'm excited to see him back because I do kind of miss them a little bit. I thought they were a lot of fun and basketball is not as good. It's just weird without him. But uh, if I was the Warriors, I would have been trying to find a way for him to just, hey, man, why don't you just, hey, just next year? Yeah, we're doing it next year. All right. India starting pitcher Mike Clevenger will have surgery to repair a partially torn left meniscus, and there's currently no timetable for his return. Big deal? I think so, depending on how long he be out, if he misses time in the regular season. The Indians are a team. Their pitching staff has undergone kind of a makeover. They traded Trevor Bauer at the trading deadline last year. They traded Corey Kluber this offseason. So Clevenger's a guy, when you think about it, I mean, he'll he'll probably be counted upon to be that number one starter. So if he misses time, I think it is a big deal. 49ers linebacker Quan Alexander will have surgery to repair an injured biceps, but he's expected to be ready for the 2020 season. Your thoughts? Yeah, they uh, Ian Rappaport was also saying that he had, you know, and he had that in addition to this, the torn pectoral he had surgically repaired. So he had a lot of injuries he played through this year and uh, was really a guy that, you know, you admired playing through all that for his team. And he's a big part of that 49ers defense. So that's really good. that He's going to be ready for 2020 and get his money for 2020. Day after being reinstated by the NFL, Browns defensive end Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett once again asserted that Mason Rudolph used a racial slur during their altercation. Do you believe him or you think he should just let this go? Yeah, he can assert all he wants to. I'm asserting that this is a bunch of nonsense. I said it immediately. He should just, you know, Miles Garrett should just be quiet and be grateful that they let him back in the league this soon. Because if I was running things, you, you'd, you'd, be, you'd have quite a four, few more games to serve. You're not six games. I still don't think it was enough. Just be quiet. Be lucky you're back in the league. During the Clippers-Celtics game last night, Boston fans were surprised with news that Kevin Garnett's number five will be retired next season. Is that well-deserved? I, I think so. I mean, the guy was uh, he was really the heart and soul of those Boston championship squads. Uh, you know, the guys that won it all. And I think 2008 it was, um, you know, they got close in a, a time or two after that. Uh, that that team was really something in the Boston sports lore history. That was something special. So I don't have too big of a problem with it. I think it's kind of cool. ESPN took an early look at the NCAA basketball seating and has Baylor, Kansas, Gonzaga and San Diego State as their top four teams. You like those four? Hey, man, I'm glad ESPN took a look at this because this college basketball season been a snooze fest. I mean, the most exciting thing we see is some dude over at Kansas trying to beat somebody up with a stool. So, hey, Gonzaga, San Diego State got some super West, King, West Coast teams over there doing their thing. I mean, I, we go, I, ask me when the tournament starts. Ask me then and I'll let you know. This weekend's dunk contest features Pat Connaughton, Aaron Gordon, Dwight Howard, and Derek Jones Jr. Who you like to win it? I uh, I have to say I was really surprised that Pat Connaughton was in this. I had I was like, wait, what? He I didn't know he could even dunk. But uh, yo, no, if I had to pick somebody, I think Derek Jones Jr. might surprise us. I think athletically, uh, he's definitely like just he's amazing to watch play. But uh, Aaron Gordon might be the one to actually pull it off. We saw what he did in the, the contest versus uh, Zach Levine. I mean, that was that was one for the ages. So I hope it's good. That's all I'm really hoping for. Last one. Team LeBron takes on Team Giannis in the new All-Star Game format on Sunday. Who you got? I got Team LeBron. I, I thought he drafted better than Giannis. I, I thought Giannis made a couple of drafting snafus in the start lineup. And due to that, I, I think we're going to see Team LeBron win this. All right. Well, that concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. And I'm Jay Wise. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do. We're going to holler at you until next time.